0: Hey everyone, and thanks for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Lassa Anderson, CEO and founder of IndyKite, an identity platform for Web three that's raised 10 million in funding. Lassa, thanks for chatting with me today. Ah, thank you for having me. Really a pleasure. Yeah, no problem. So, I want to begin with talking with you about something very big that happened in the last few years, and that is the acquisition of your company ForgeRock, which sold for, I believe, it was a reported 2.3 billion dollars. So, tell us about the day that happen how did that feel for you what was going on and inside of your brain and what'd you do to celebrate
1: <laughs> i uh, yeah i think i had one glass of red wine and then i fell asleep so that was the big celebration <laughs> so anyway it was great yeah but also it's kind of like i love starting companies and that's what's why i started in right? now and it kind of like felt that uh as a, when you you close a good book that you've been reading uh mm-hmm. not that i read a lot of books but it, it was like yeah a fantastic journey, an amazing ride. I learned so much. I've probably done all the mistakes possible doing, but also, of course, doing something right. And then coming into that fantastic closure, it kind of like, yeah, I wasn't relaxed. I really felt really, really nice. And then kind of like closed the book and ready for a new one.
0: And what about on the day
1: of the IPO? Because
0: you went public and then you were acquired and taken private. Is that correct? That is correct. Yes what was the IPO like for you? Was that similar glass of wine and, and fell asleep or what was going on inside your head? And I, I'm asking these questions because, you know, these are the days that founders dream of, right? They dream of their company going public. They dream of getting acquired for you know, a billion or $2 billion. So that's why I'm curious about these types of things. Tell us, what was it like on the uh, IPO day?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I and mean, you know, there was a little thing called COVID that was going on for a while, which was, of course, also was um, during our IPO in Nasdaq. So Honestly, I was actually in Norway at the time of um, the IPO and I was not allowed back in the US. So, so um, actually, I couldn't ring the bell. Yeah, I couldn't ring the bell. I was alone in a hotel room in Oslo in a t-shirt and was broadcasted live. But I, uh, I haven't touched the bell yet. But apart from that, a fantastic evening. But it was, it was kind of weird, kind of like having this fantastic moment and not allowed to (laughs) come back to the U.S. That's crazy. Well, I guess you're just going to have to do it again with
0: IndieKite, right? You're going to have to take it public and you're going to have to ring the bell just to get the experience.
1: Of course. And that's why I'm kind of like, I told everybody I'm going to do two more startups before I die and do a hack trick. So I'm going to do it faster, bigger, and even more fun. Now, a couple of questions that we like to ask just to better understand what makes you tick. So
0: over the course of your career, I'm, I'm sure you've dealt with a lot of amazing people. Is there a specific founder or CEO that you really have come to admire? And if so, who is it? And what do you admire about that?
1: Yeah, I have to mention Scott McNeely, the founder and CEO of, of Sun Microsystems. And of course, very known kind of like internet company out here in the Bay Area. And also I would say kind of like changed um, computing forever. And uh, so his kind of like style when it comes to culture and and also the uh, one of the key which is near to my heart is innovation. I think Sun was the company that first of all was using uh, kind of like a lot of money into R&D. They did a lot of bets, some of them plain stupid, but some of them also um, brilliant and actually innovation, making bets, not making a me too company or trying to be a copycat. Then you're always going to be too late and you're not going to be a winner. So that team move and believing in open source, believing in innovation and actually go where the puck is, is going to be and not where it is at the moment. And I see you were CTO at Sun Microsystems from was it 2003
0: to 2010, which is a, a very interesting time, I think, to be part of the company. I'm sure you learned a lot from that experience. But if you had to choose just one thing, you know, one big takeaway that you know, really has informed how you approach company building and, and managing today would that one thing
1: be i think it would be the big developer conferences that we used to put on and seeing all that energy all that innovation all people coming together and building something which is larger than what you can do by yourself so there was we did something called the community one and then started here in san francisco with community west and then we came to new york with community east and i uh, At that time, I was in Europe, so I called the guy and I said, you know, there's something more East than New York. And say, what, really? Yeah, it's called (laughs) Europe, for Christ's sake. So we also put on an amazing developer event there. And you know, developers is actually the people that are innovating and actually make this fantastic application and services. These are the guys you need to create technology for, so they continue doing what they're best at, making great new stuff. Mm, Fascinating. I love that. And I know you mentioned there that
0: you don't read a lot of books, but has there ever been a book that really resonated with you that you would say has had a big impact on you? Or are you just not a reader at all and prefer to consume information in different ways?
1: Yeah, I'm sorry to say that. I don't read a lot when it comes to books. I kind of am born curious. So I read a lot of different kind of like small articles and and stuff like that. Having time to sit down for like uh, an hour or five reading a book, uh, yeah, I probably did that in the Easter in 1978. But uh, yeah, I don't read a lot of books. Sorry, <laughs> makes <laughs> sense.
0: I love it. All right, well, let's switch gears now. And let's dive a little bit deeper into what you're building today. You know, I was looking through the website, I, I read some of the articles about you, and it sounds just incredibly exciting. So take us back to the early days of IndieKite and talk to us about
1: the origin story. Yeah, I'd uh, love to. Uh... It's kind of like there's so much going on when it comes to innovation and new technology and be able to start from scratch again and have no technology baggage. It's amazing. It's uh, kind of like you have all these new color pens and uh, and black sheets. And one of the things that is very, very different uh, versus kind of like back in, in the old days is that everything is online. There's more cars, uh, IoT devices, APIs, bots online than there's human beings. And they, you know what, they all have relationships and they need to connect. You need to kind of like have know who they are, meaning authenticate. And that they also need to be um, authorized. What are kind of like uh, people lo- love to do or uh, a car love to do or is your phone actually allowed to speak to your car speakers, which is basically pairing, but it's actually an identity management use case and um, and kind of like a relationship. So, Being totally agnostic around identity types, that's a big thing. And just look on everything which is connected, how do you um, take advantage of that and build new fantastic services while, of course, also being secure, that opens an insane amount of business opportunities. So that's where it started. The other thing is that if you have all that information. Kind of like you can use it for so much more than just security and access and authorization. You can use the same information for hyper-personalization because you know who is who and what they are, where they are, what car they are in, or what hotel room. And you can really personalize the services based on identity data. You can use it for recommendation. Kind of like uh, Amazon or Netflix, kind of like movie recommendation, it's all about identity. They have all the identity of all the the movies. They know who you are, and they've seen what you're doing in the past, so that's why they can recommend stuff. And for me, that's not an management use case. So this is what IndieCat is all about, making decisions in real time based on context. And that could be a decision, it could be a recommendation, it could be an authorization. It's just what you query, our technology, what kind of question you are asking, our knowledge graph.
0: And could you talk to us about The types of companies that are using this and and really what that product suite looks like?
1: Yeah, I think we had most traction kind of like in finance, in retail, in automotive industry. And our focus is where we can help uh, other companies to actually uh, create more value, meaning growing the top line revenue by serving the customer much better. And a very good sample there in retail is, of course, loyalty programs. If you know who they are, your members, you can connect a lot of different services and not kind of like only send them a, a kind of like a marketing ad, but you can do in real life decisions. So you come up to a parking garage, we recognize your your car by the license plate, so we know who you are. We see you are kind of like a gold member of the loyalty program. We have your um, your mobile phone number. So we basically just text you and say, um, hey, Brad, you see our good customer in our store. By the way, you can charge your uh, vehicle, uh, electric vehicle for free in parking spot number 29. And by the way, salmon is on half price today. So this is just combining identity data and make based on the context. You can make decisions like this. And it's really, really powerful. And. All these companies would like to have uh, better serve their customers. They like customer retention is uh, of course very important and and make money. And it needs to be secure. You need to kind of like uh, respect uh, all GDPR and those kind of regulations. But the main thing, the driver, is the experience. How can you serve your customer better by kind of like giving them more based on uh, Information that they have shared with you to get something back. So this is also very close. Then come down to the whole area of privacy, of course. And I know identity and access management, or IAM, is a, an
0: established category, and you know, Gartner recognizes it and, and writes a lot about it. So when it comes to your market category, what's your thinking here? And you know, what's the long-term plan? Is it to really just take a challenger position to this legacy category and say, hey? we're building the next generation and it's you know, better than anything that's ever existed. And you're going to redefine this existing category, or eventually is this a category creation play where you're going to create a totally new category?
1: We're totally reinventing the identity uh, space. It's kind of like um, turning identity data into value instead of kind of like being a corporate liability. Like if you only look on um, on this type of technology for kind of like you know, who have access to application one and two and three. It's a very, very narrow kind of like uh, view of the world. And there's probably 230 companies going out there and talking about, I have a, a much better MFA kind of like technology and already others. And when it comes to removing the password, for Christ's sake, that is not hard. If you want to do it, there's so many vendors that can do it. But why don't you take all this information and all this identity information and put it together, build a knowledge layer on top of it and create new value and experiences. And so, yeah, we're totally um, redefining what you can do with identity. And I think the most important thing that I have done now is that half of my team is identity, security, and geeks. The other ones I have is people, it's like data scientists. People that come from company like Snowflake, for instance, so people that look on this and say, "Ha, huh, this is data, and it's connected data, and based on the relationship, the information we can get access to in real time, we can do a lot of interesting things with this, and not only that, it's a stupid simple access control decision."
0: It obviously takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of work and you have to go out and evangelize and and educate people on this idea and really try to get them bodied to change and doing something different. So what types of tactics are you deploying to do that? And what are you just doing as an organization to really evangelize and and preach this message to the world and to your customers, get them to believe in in what you believe in?
1: Everything is about adoption. And adoption comes to that actually the developers in the world see value and what kind of technology you are creating. So for us, it's all about open source. It's of inclusion and actually making developers happy and more productive and in that way get adoption. Of course, in addition to that, you probably need to kind of like pay a couple of million to Gartner to get up to the, the magic quadrant right corner, but the... What we're doing is, you know, kind of like teaming up with developers in the world, make everything open source and create something bigger that we can do only alone with our engineering team.
0: And what are you doing to like stand out and, and capture the attention of developers? Because I feel like over the last couple of years, there's just so much noise. There's been so many companies funded for developer tooling. And I, I feel like they must just have so many companies trying to you know, battle for their attention So are there any specific strategies that you're just seeing work or tactics that you've deployed to rise above all that noise and capture the developer's attention?
1: I totally agree with you. And uh, and I think where you should start is actually have really, really good documentation and kind of like samples and makes it really, really easy to get started. I think if developer probably are deciding to go with your technology or not within kind of like 30 to 40 seconds so make it accessible make it really easy to get started i I think that is the key you need people don't want to kind of like search for four days or, or four weeks to figure out what what's going on the attention span is is really really short and there's like you said there's so many interesting good technology out there so so you need to kind of like capture them really really fast really really early and
0: I see you launched in March, 2020, which I believe there were some interesting things happening in the world in March, 2020 with, uh, with the COVID pandemic. So let's talk about, you know, those like early months of the company. And then, you know, what was that like in your journey to finding product market fit? And do you have it now? Do you feel like you have complete product market fit today? Yeah. What are your thoughts there?
1: Yeah. 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 2020 was pretty interesting. And of course, I, I was in San Francisco on um, The week that everything was shutting down and uh, the week after i actually had um, four scheduled in-person meetings with investors because i want to want to do raise some money some a pre-seed round so on a friday the 13th when all the airports was was closing down i called my friends in norway said i don't have time i can't go home i have a lot of meetings now so i decided kind of to stay and i'm always very optimistic that it can't be that bad if if you can't fly from US. I can drive to Canada, whatever. I'll I'll get home. And then so I decided to stay. And then on um, the Sunday, the 15th of March, the airline called me and they say, Mr. Anderson, we're not kidding. There's only one plane left. There's two seats. And this is kind of the last plane going from the US to Europe for God know how long. So within two hours i decided to jump on that plane kind of like i when i came back one and a half year after the i had some really well-aged cheese in my uh, my fridge <laughs> I basically left really, really fast and of course all the investors everything kind of stopped. and my decision at that time in, in march 2020 is that there's a timing for everything. You don't try to sell kind of like a new mobile phone subscription at a funeral. You wait when there is actually are people that are in the mode to actually look on your mobile phone. So I went totally off the grid, spent time with some of the key engineers looking on the product and start developing that and not didn't even try to get funding and waited until uh, kind of like people were coming back in the right modus and then uh, did a very quick seed round on two and a half million uh, pre-seed. And then I did a seed round in eight million in, it was probably February, 2021.
0: Wow. That's amazing. And and what stage in that journey or like around what time period did you start to feel like you had reached product market fit?
1: I still, we have, still think we have some time to where we are at that point. We're now testing our technologies with a, a handful of, pilot customers i personally being with sun being with with fortua we always worked with like global five thousand companies uh, like the bbc or vodafone or verizon or audi or or kind of like geico and this is the same customer type that i'm i'm talking to now and honestly i find it much easier to working with big and it surprises because they have very good internal kind of like technology skills it's kind of like trying to do software support for your grandma is the worst kind of like scenario ever if you talking to people in, in a big corporation like that they really know their stuff so it's much easier to have a great conversation much easier to get into a, a pilot project and work together that's where we're aiming so no smb no mid market for us And what type of
0: traction are you seeing today are there any numbers or metrics that you can share that highlight some of that adoption
1: we're basically sold out Uh, wow (laughs) and that's of course probably like um, a little over 60 people and again if you're working with big fortune 500 or global fortune 5000 type of companies you really kind of like get really busy with only like five big customers like that wow that's amazing now let's
0: talk a little bit about your motivation. So obviously you've had a lot of success in your career. So what motivates you to keep going and to keep grinding? Because so I know building a startup is a grind. It's hard. It's a lot of work. It's stressful. It's painful. So what motivates you just to keep going and to keep building companies? Because I feel like many people in your position would say. That's it. I'm going to Norway. I'm going to chill in the mountains. and I'm done and I'm going to enjoy life. But you're here and you're building. So what motivates you day to day?
1: I don't know. Maybe I'm a half mad or what it is, but it's all my passion. I just love to kind of like getting new, fantastic people together, building a team, building a unique culture, innovate, creating technology that nobody has built before and see how that is deployed at customer and actually create value for them and that it's kind of like starting a band you finding these five or four crazy uh, rock stars getting it together try to um, come up a new song and you go out on stage and when you play and your hit song you see the audience go crazy it's a kind of same feeling so it's all about passion and as you said it's uh, there's no way to do a safe startup so so like I said, there's a lot of self-inflected pain in doing this, but it also makes you feel alive and you are changing people's lives and you're having a lot of fun together with them while you're, you're creating value. And what is it about identity
0: that attracts you? you know, what, what do you love about this identity space? Because it seems like you know, your last company, this company, it, it's all about identity. So what is it about it? Honestly, I think it's really
1: boring. The thing. I'm just kidding. Uh, No, but as I said before, everything is going online and knowing who is who and what is what. Almost everything or kind of like call it digital transformation. Believe it or not, there's always an identity kind of like infrastructure part of any problem. If you want to have a new service online, how are you going to charge people? Then you need to know who they are. How are you going to make sure that they get the right service? Then you need authorization. So it is kind of like I get a lot of pushback from the investors because I call it plumbing, but it's necessary plumbing. It's kind of like probably not the most sexy thing that you're plumbing in your house, but it kind of if you don't have that right and your shower is not working or your toilet is not working, it's not a good place to be. So identity is this glue that actually are the foundation for every online experience and service on the planet. So that's fascinating. there you can actually do something without indie There's a lot of other good vendors out there, but you can't build a new service without thinking about security and identity. Mm-hmm. Super fascinating. Now, another
0: thing I want to ask you about is, you know, just your belief when it comes to company building. So, how I'd like to phrase this question is, you know, if you go on Twitter, you see a lot of founders, you know, tweeting their thoughts. If you go on TechCrunch, you read articles about things. Are there any things that you see out there in the world that you just disagree with when it comes to company building? Like, is there any advice that just seems to be widely accepted and believed in that you just think is total bullshit and you don't believe in it?
1: Yeah. And this is probably since I'm coming from Norway, I I don't believe in that hire and fire kind of like attitude because getting the right people into place and that is the most important thing and hiring great people that actually can lead and, and execute it's kind of like the key to creating a great culture and also a great company. The hiring the wrong people just before just knowing that it's easy to kind of like get them out the door, I think it's a very, very wrong attitude. So we spend a lot of time interviewing and making sure we hire people the right culture fit, the right attitude. Why do they want to, to do a startup and, and not work for Oracle? and what is the motivation what uh, what is their persistence so uh, i'm thinking getting the right people in place and that also share the same goal is very very important and i think you can be happy as a small company and you can be happy as a big company but you need to align and i'm going big with this and i said kind of like aiming for the next hat trick and people that sign on for that gig they better kind of fly can get their seat belts ready and I'm ready for the speed. Now, let's talk about
0: that hat trick and and that vision for the future. So, let's zoom out three to five years from
1: today. What's this big picture vision that you're working towards? So, what I really like is some of the sign principles around that 3.0 kind of like, and it's decentralization. It's a big, big thing. And I think we are getting into a much, much better place of following those design principles. Privacy, giving kind of like, control back to the owner of the different data and they can share what they want to share with who uh, for get some benefits back so i see a much much more interesting world where value creation is distributed where to the belonging of of the data and also more secure i don't believe in all these security training courses that you need to don't click on this link or don't do that i actually think technology actually going to protect me much better i'm seeing a digital twin that know what i like and can spot spam or uh, other security breaches much much faster and smarter than myself and also have digital twins that um can help me and have um, a more fun life basically so yeah digital twins decentralization control back to the users at that i think where we're going to be at five years from now. And hopefully ringing the bell at the uh, New York Stock Exchange, right? Yeah. Like, come on. I, I need to do that. Like, uh, <laughs> it wasn't the same feeling kind of like being online in a hotel room on the other side of the planet and everybody's we're in New York and ringing the bells.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, it'll happen here. It sounds like. Wow, so this conversation has been so much fun. I've learned a lot from you and it's just been really enjoyable chatting with you. And you know, like we talked about in the pre-interview, I really appreciate how you handle these interviews. It's clear you didn't come with this you know, pre-written script of what you were going to say to each answer. It was a very real and authentic conversation, which are my favorite conversations. And that's the type of stuff that our audience likes to hear. So thank you so much for taking the time. We really appreciate it. And I wish you the best of luck in executing on this vision. And I look forward to seeing you ring that bell. That's good. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. No problem. Let's keep in touch. This episode of Category Visionaries is brought to you by Frontlines Media, Silicon Valley's leading podcast production studio. If you're a B2B founder looking for help launching and growing your own podcast, visit frontlines.io podcast. And for the latest episode, search for Category Visionaries on your podcast platform of choice. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode.